Accutron Watches present. From New York City, this is the Accutron Show, a time travel through American culture with your hosts, Bill McCuddy, Scott Alexander, and David Graver. Visit AccutronWatch.com and discover the brand that has made American history with an all-new proprietary next-generation electrostatic energy movement. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. And it's a show that thinks about the way that, in this case, 12 Black artists are engaging notions of space and community and how that might be sort of interchangeable or how the artist might sort of take that notion and spin it into something fantastical or something that sort of sits outside the sort of real or ideal. The person you heard at the top of the show is today's guest, Antoine Sargent. He's a writer, editor, curator, and a director at the Gagosian Gallery. We'll explain what that is and where and why it's so important today. Uh, first up, though, I'm Bill McCuddy, along with another art lover, editor David Graver. Scott Alexander is uh, on assignment, won't be joining us this time, but he'll be back next time. So listen, we're talking about changing all the rules of art curation today. Uh, all that and more on this episode of the Accutron Show. Stay tuned. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our iconic Space View 2020 collection, recreating the stunning visual impact of the original open dial design combined with an all-new electrostatic energy movement. Time just changed again. The Accutron Space View 2020. You're excited about today's show because you know our guest. I do indeed. I met him at an art event maybe five years ago. Art intimidates me. I walk into a room. I see things hanging on the wall. If it's not the the dogs playing poker or uh, Elvis on Black Velvet, I don't know what to make <laughs> of it. Mrs. McCuddy does all the curating in the family. I think that's because the numbers often – confuse people or intimidate people, but really art should just be an aesthetic experience. You should walk in, and if you like the art, great. If you don't, leave. Go to the next gallery. Okay, fair enough. But the Gagosian Gallery that he represents is a lot of big bucks collections and collectors. And we're going to talk to him about, you know, what makes a good collector? I don't know. And what happens if they don't have good taste? What if they walk in with the little dog and uh, they're in pink and they're like, I like that one. And How much will it be worth in it, 10 years? It, well, yeah, oh, that's the other thing. I mean, uh, I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal and it's saying that you shouldn't be in the stock market. You should be investing in art, but that's not what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to see something you like. Especially right now with NFTs and cryptocurrency and the price exaggeration we're seeing there. 60 some million dollars for the ugliest piece of art I've ever seen in my entire life. Absolutely. <laughs> where horrifying. are NFTs going? <laughs> I hope they're not going anywhere. Where fast. are, what are they? An NFT is a non fungible token. Yes, no, I know yeah, what it's You know, for. it's a piece of digital art that's been sort of certified. If NFT is not for this guy. How about that? How about that NFT? I I'd don't have want to agree. An NFT. Well, I don't have 69 right. million bucks. Also, uh, we should mention Antoine Sargent is a, a gentleman of color. Uh, he is one of the few people maybe doing this or has been given this job. Uh, that's probably wrong. We'll hear about what his experience has been. He also started out as a kindergarten teacher. He did indeed. So he's been dealing with artists from a very young age. Uh, <laughs> to uh, to now. Um, it, it's so complicated out there in terms of what what I like versus what you like. 
you know, what is good art to me may not be good art to you. I, I, have you been to that immersion thing? The Van Gogh immersion experience? Yeah. No, but I've been to several in New York and in Miami, the immersive art experiences. Yeah, I mean, it's broadcast. I mean, it's all over every wall. You can stand in the middle of starry night. People, I'm sure it's a very touristy thing. But you know what? If it exposes people who otherwise never would have seen Van Gogh's work and they're standing in the middle of starry night going, uh, I feel like Van Gogh is here with me, uh, you know, <laughs> then true. I guess it's it's valid. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. I actually have a funny story I'd like to share with you. My most powerful art experience I walked into a friend's oh, that's home. that's why you asked me what mine was. <laughs> I walked into a friend's home for the first time, and on the floor was a Liechtenstein sculpture, one of 12 that exists in the whole world. And resting- Who are your friends? <laughs> resting on top of the sculpture was their cat. <laughs> and the cat would play with this priceless sculpture all day long. And I was always so horrified to see it happen. But this cat loved the sculpture more than anyone else. The cat had no idea who Roy Lichtenstein was, but it didn't matter because the Are cat you sure? was... <laughs> I'm actually not sure. Totally, totally not sure. So, okay. But, yeah. but value is in the eye of the beholder. But also the idea that they can live with it and just have it be a part of the middle of their living room and their cat can go sit on it is Indeed. probably appalling to <laughs> that rumbling we hear is Lichtenstein's uh, grave. But uh, as he's turning and spinning, he is he has passed, right? I have no idea. Anyway, um, it's uh, look, these and many, many other questions will be answered uh, when our guest joins us. So really, David, what is a curator? We're going to find out. I'm not sure, but like all of our podcasts, I'm never quite sure going in. Uh, that's what I love about the Accutron Show. We meet interesting people and they tell us how they got started and what influences them. We will return in a moment with Antoine Sargent from the Gagosian Gallery on the Accutron Show. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our Accutron DNA collection. Reimagined for a new generation, the Accutron DNA combines breakthrough technology, precise engineering, and modern aesthetics to achieve a new level of technical excellence. The Accutron DNA, the new face of time for those who blaze new trails. Antoine, we were having a discussion before you got here about what constitutes good or bad art. What mm -hmm. makes bad art? Lack of vision. How do we know that when we're looking at it? Lack of though? mastery of the material. Um, you know, I think that, like, it is art. So, you know, it's not a science. It's not scientific. And I don't think it needs to be. But I do think that... Um, it depends on... You know, I always sort of say that there's many art worlds that... Um, we sort of move and operate in, right? And I think that um, the gallery is one art world. I think that um, in the museum and sort of that whole sort of um, grouping that sort of makes up the institutional art world. But then I think there are artisans and other folks who are sort of engaged in sort of a different type of art world. Um, and so I think it depends on sort of where you're um, trying to, you know, sort of be and, and where the work is sort of seen. But you know, I think that I'm always after sort of work that has, you know, sort of a real, real a originality and a true sort of tension and sort of expression that um, is unique. And I think there is something about um, knowing it when you see it, because, again, it is an art. It's We're not talking about a science. But, you know, I, I don't really sort of spend a lot of time trying to um, sort of get to sort of like, this is good, this is bad. I think you have to sort of, um, 
examine each artist and each sort of artwork within the context of the artist that's producing it and also within sort of a larger sort of cultural sphere in which you might show it or sell it or you know whatever and so i think it's a you know it, it's it is difficult for a reason you know um and i but like you that think difficulty. you know good when you see it versus bad when you i would walk hope in so and see it the first time <laughs> it has a it has a, a guttural kind of reaction i think it's guttural you. but i also think it's about sort of like you know we have uh certain histories of art certain canons you know um certain conversations that sort of come in and out of you know um prominence and i think all of those things help to sort of determine um this notion of good versus bad but i'm not i i personally am not sort of interested in those distinctions i think those distinctions are almost the most boring thing you know about a work of art i think it's about the story i think it's about the material mastery i think it's about sort of the artists what they're trying to sort of do with the work that's before you you have through your work in every sector been a champion of emerging artists how do you keep on the pulse of emerging artists? How are you finding them? How are, how are you sharing them? I'm just always look. I mean, it's a lifestyle, right? I don't think of like any of the stuff that I do as a job necessarily. I think of it as like just being a part of several different communities. And so I'm a part of a fashion community. I'm a part of an art community. I'm a part of a writing community. Um, and I think just like constantly being in dialogue with you know, a number of different people from, you know, those communities, I think you just sort of happen upon from conversation and dialogue and studio visits and all of that stuff, um, sort of young artists, but also, you know, artists who maybe have not like been given sort of the, the, the finest look, I think that, you know, but it's all about dialogue. I'm always ta I'm talking to so many people all the time, um, just because I love it. I mean, I feel like that's just sort of how um, you're supposed to be a part of, you know, community, sort of being in dialogue, having discussions, having debates, um, asking questions um, to really sort of just, you know, be a part of the community actively. My first exposure to your work was through your writing and your tremendous body of thoughtful, like succinct art, art writing. Can you talk to me about the role art writing has played in your career and how it's brought you to a director position at Gagosian? Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, I moved to New York maybe 10 years ago now, and I was I went to Georgetown and thought I would go into some sort of service or politics or something. I was in the School of Foreign Service hmm. and moved here, and I actually moved here to do Teach for America um, because it was a really – it was a, I just thought it was a sort of way you can sort of tangibly give back, you know, not sort of go and work at, you know, something that's sort of removed from a community, but really sort of be in a community in every day. And you taught kindergarten. I taught kindergarten. So you <laughs> saw art at its very base level. You saw it I mean, in the beginning. I, yeah. I mean, it's also helped me sort of deal with <laughs> um, <laughs> different artists, you know, um, just having that patience. You know? <laughs> um has, has been really fundamental. But I also think one of the things from teaching kindergarten that was really sort of uh, important was never underestimate an audience intelligence, right? Like, because I think that at, you know, four and five, you might think that, like, you know, you're showing them something or teaching them something or that, you know, they're at one particular point. You make a lot of assumptions. And I think kids at that age really sort of 
proof every single one of those sort of wrong. And <laughs> I think that that has really taught me to sort of, um, you know, really sort of be open to the intelligence that someone else might bring into, um, you know, a gallery or um, a museum or, you know, sort of in a conversation or dialogue. And some artists could use a nap, probably. Could little, yes. little time <laughs> could out, use little a little corner. Nap, little, yeah. <laughs> so explain the Gagosian Gallery to people who don't know or understand the power of how big this job is that you have. Yeah, I mean, Gagosian was started by Larry Gagosian, um, sort of an art dealer who I think, um, and sort of unbiasedly, really, I, but I, I think that a lot of the sort of contemporary sort of way that we think about art and sort of particularly on the gallery side was sort of shaped by um, Larry and, um, you know, it's a gallery with uh, 16 locations around the world from New York to Los Angeles, um, London and uh, Basel and, you know, Athens and Rome. Um and it, it's, you know, it's just sort of known for putting on really ambitious sort of museum-like stagings of um, artists' work. And so I was really sort of attracted to that. I was attracted to the gallery really sort of being a gallery where artists lead. And um, and if we're doing our job right, we're able to contextualize that work and to sort of present it in the ways in which collaboratively with the artists. And so... Um, yeah, it's a it's a gallery with about thirty directors. I'm one of them um, who sort of sit a, around the world, and you know, our job is to make sure that we are um, engaging sort of the artists of our time and allowing them an opportunity to sort of not only show their work but um, to push their work um, in the space of our galleries. I just had the great privilege of seeing your debut show with Gagosian Social Works. And took the opportunity to have intimate internal dialogues with some pieces and then had to pause in the magnitude of other structures that were assembled within. Can you talk to us about how you approached curating and how you gathered the intimate tiny and put them beside the momentous? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Social Works is a show that we have on now um, at the gallery on uh, 24th Street at 555. It's through you know, um, September 11th. And it's a show that thinks about the way that, in this case, 12 black artists are engaging notions of space and community and how that might be sort of interchangeable or how the artist might sort of take that notion and spin it into something fantastical or something that sort of sits outside the sort of real or ideal, right? And we have... Um, a lot of different artists working on, you know, across mediums. So you have um, the painter Titus Kafar thinking about sort of relationships to social histories and his painting practice. You have um, Rick Lowe, who is thinking about abstraction in relationship to sort of the Tulsa, Oklahoma race massacre of 1921. Um, that area, Greenwood, was called Black Wall Street because of the sort of economic wealth at the time of that community that was destroyed. Um, you also have people like Linda. Brian, who is sort of um, a 
who started an urban farm um, called Project Eats in New York City that's tasked with getting fresh produce to underserved communities. And in the space of that, of our gallery, they walk, uh, she walked in and her and Liz Diller, the architect, um, and saw the skylight and go, we want to build a farm here. <laughs> and from coming from the skylight. And they did. And so it's gardened. I mean, it's a, it's a sort of a small garden that where fresh produce is produced in the space of the gallery and it's given away on the walls of the gallery to the visitors um, because Linda really sort of thinks about making spaces with world world consequences. And then you have someone like the architect David Adjay, um, who is really, you know, one of the sort of um, great architectural voices of his generation, having built things like the National Museum of African American History and Culture, um, the Smithsonian that's in D.C. that opened a couple of years ago. Um, and David has been thinking a lot about um, the very earth that we walk on and how we can sort of think about a sustainable architecture um, that's built from literally the ground. And so um, in his sort of large-scale um, debut um, sculpture, it's this sort of maze-like labyrinth um, that's made from the literal earth that we walk on in New York, which is limestone. And so it's 60 tons of limestone that has been rammed um, together um, to sort of make into these blocks that sort of build into sort of this crescendo um, in the gallery. And so as you walk through, you're sort of in between these these sort of layers of real limestone earth new york earth and because it's earth and because it's living um is it oxidizes the air and so it sucks in the carbon right um and so it really is just you know again it's a large sort of scale work that we work me and david work closely together to sort of um to realize it um it was commissioned for this exhibition That's again good. you it know, won't live anywhere else after this it's Placed it's, in this particular exhibit, it's placed to, in this, but it's it's a it's a sculpture, so it will sort of have a life after, after the exhibition, and also will be it'll live outside. You know, I think of art as being kind of colorblind, mm -hmm. and so I don't look at a piece and think, I wonder who made this or mm -hmm. how. I mean, I think about the artist, yep. but I don't. So, would have has the have artists of color been like ignored for a long time? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Indeed. I mean, walk through a museum and, and you, you sort of get the, you know, the sort of impression that for a very long time, there's been not just artists of color, but I think there's also been women. There's also been, you know, that have been sort of, they're making the work, but not getting the same opportunities. And so I think that um, for me, it's not necessarily, for me, this is sort of what I do, right? This is sort of the, the, the practice that I have, but I, I, you know, I, I love sort of all artists, but I think that it's important to sort of have a practice and have um, a point of view. And I think that for me being a part of, it's so authentically me because I'm a part of this community and sort of just interested in what those artists are making, you know? And, and so, you know, to that extent, the shows and books and writing that I've been doing for the last 10 years has been particularly focused on, the work of black artists around the world because um, I'm just interested in that, you know, sort of um, creativity and that artistic production and what sort of happens in sort of different communities. And, and, um, and yeah, in this show, you, you know, you see that, you know, you have Carrie Mae Weems photographs and you have the Astor Gates who has actually um, a Chicago based artist who has this sort of monumental installation of the house DJ uh, Frankie Knuckles, uh, 
real records, 5,000 real records that he played in the clubs in the 80s, right? He's like one of the like houses, you know, pioneers. And he's taken that that work. Frankie passed away in 2014. He's taken that and sort of realized it, those records, as an archive. And maybe in the past, those records have been auctioned off or sort of scattered around or forgotten. And he said, no, this is a really important piece of um, black history, of music history, of house history, um, and I'm going to preserve it. And not only am I going to preserve it, in the space of our gallery, he's digitizing the records, all 5,000, because as you know, um, Frankie was like a, you know, was like one of the great tastemakers of house music. And so a lot of artists, Janet Jackson, Celine Dion, a lot of folks sent him um, test records to sort of say, is this good? Like, is this the, like, should we release this? You know, and other artists as well. And so those were done on acetate. And so those, after a few spins. Right, they go. They go. Right. And they're gone. And that music is sort of lost. And some of the music was maybe released and some of it wasn't. And so there's some rare sort of, um, tracks in that archive that the Astro was like, oh, wow, we need to preserve this. We need to preserve this sort of musical level uh, legacy. And that exists just as a digital catalog that's part of And so the- it's being digitized in the gallery. So the uh-huh. records are being played. And so you're hearing the sounds, you're hearing the music. And in that playing, what's happening is actually the digitalization. So at the, so if we're timing it right, at the conclusion, conclusion of the show in September, you'll have a digital archive of Frankie Knuckles' records. And so- it's really one of those things where it's like I like to do exhibitions that also like do other things in the world, you know. And so, yes, you have, you know, this sort of unpublic viewing in its one way. But then you'll have this digital archive where folks can all from all over the world eventually will be able to sort of, um, you know, sort of listen to or study or what, what have you. Do you have a vision for what you want the future of the art world to look like moving forward? That's a big question. I mean, I just think that like – I just think that we all like when I mean, and I mean we all as as sort of our publications, our um, museums, our galleries need to just be more reflective of the communities in which they are in. And so I just think that like if that it's as simple as that, yeah. you know, just in, just inviting, you know, sort of just being sort of clear about showing a lot of different artists, a lot of different things, and being sort of challenging. And I think that what I love about my colleagues at the gallery and what we've been able to do so far is that there's just been so much openness and collaboration because you don't build uh, a 60 ton sculpture in six (laughs) months um, without collaboration and belief and, you know, and and support. And I think that, you know, it goes from Larry on down and, and, you know, uh, the show has been, you know, really well received and we love that, but you know, there is a risk, right? Like you don't know how, you know, things will be received, you know, in terms of, um, placing the work or in terms of like the critical response. And so I, I will say that like, you know, I love that risk factor. I love that, you know, this wasn't just, you know, work that was laying around in someone's studio. You know, this is really was sort of a curatorial idea and then reaching out to artists and having conversations and maybe thinking from the first conversation, maybe we'll do this. And then, you know, artists, and this is why I love them, they come back and say, oh, I actually want to do this. And then then we have a discussion and say, okay, is that possible in the four months or whatever and keep on working and keep on being in dialogue. And what I love about that sort of fluid process is that some ideas work now and some of them 
Let's keep working through them. Let's keep talking about them. Let's keep sort of marinating. And then that can happen in a different exhibition. And so from this particular exhibition, there's a lot of stuff coming out of that that the gallery will continue to do and support and sort of be in dialogue with artists. And so I think that that's also that's really great about this particular show that it's been hugely generative in terms of ideas um, for future artworks. Do you have thoughts and opinions on NFTs? <laughs> yeah, you mentioned digital a moment ago in the future, and I—is that art to you? I, you know, I—I'm not. I don't think I'm at a place to say that it's is or isn't art. I think right now with NFTs, it's just too early to sort of. I think even have a a real definitive. Uh, opinion on them. I think what I've seen now, what I've seen so far, I'm I'm not. It doesn't give me much hope. Um, in the terms that, like, it can't just be an image of something. Agreed. It needs to be, you know, sort of a, a an art form. If you're calling it an art form, then it needs to have its own sort of rhythm and its own sort of like idea. production and idea. And it can't be just like taking the uh, physical world that we're living in now and translating that into, uh, you know, an image, you know, and... Um, but some art does that. Certainly photography does that. I mean... I, it, yeah, but photography, yes. And so that's exactly my point, that photography does that. <laughs> you know, so, like, what, you know, so... So, so were you guys appalled when no. Christie's got $69 million no. for that thing? And did everybody go, wait, are we missing out on this? We should be on this. No, because, you know, the art world is one of those places where some of it's about, you know, I think it's the last place where it's like it is and isn't about money, right? Because I think that's the sort of misconception. Like just because you have money doesn't mean you can get a artwork. You yeah. Know? So a lot of people with money who would love artworks from this particular show who have not been able to get them, you know? And I think that like it's it's really about – and that's what I mean about like being a part of the culture. It's about sort of prioritizing um, – it's, you know, it, it really is – I think the reason, you know, there's a woman – who came into the show and I was leaving for the day and she ran up to me and as dramatic as this sounds, she was crying and she goes, house music really saved my life. I had to come in from San Francisco to see this, um, this work of art. And there's something spiritual about art, right? That transcends, I think we can all say, um, the sort of world and the sort of way that we've organized the worlds in which we're in. And so, yes, like money is, you know, part of that sort of capitalist part of the world. And obviously this is a commercial gallery and obviously, you know, that is the business model, but it's not just about that. And I think that me and my colleagues work really hard to make sure that, you know, the works are placed in collections and not sort of just like with someone who happens to have 69 million or whatever, right? Um, that where those works become a part of a community where they can be seen, right? And so I'm sort of with the with NFTs, it's sort of what all you're hearing. The reason why everyone's like sort of up in a frenzy is because of the dollar amount. Yeah. No one has ever mm -hmm. came to me and go, oh my God, look how beautiful that NFT is. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's the problem here is that, is that you, that, there's some like like there's within art there's there has to be a beauty logic and I don't and and until that can happen in NFTs it's just going to be literally capitalism on steroids. I collections and collectors. What yeah. makes a good collector? We'll talk about that when we return after this. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website accutronwatch.com and discover our legacy collection. 
reviving some of the most memorable Accutron watches from the 60s and 70s. The Legacy Collection combines timeless design with the technical excellence of Swiss watchmaking, each limited to 600 individually numbered pieces. The Accutron Legacy Collection, inspired by the past, built for the future. Antoine, I'm very, very intimidated by art. I walk in and I just go, and I think a lot of people watching and listening are too. So how do you know when you uh, are a collector or how do you know you're somebody that appreciates it enough to be taken seriously? I mean, I think that that's one of the things I think that we need to do a better job, I think, in all aspects of the the art world, from the curators at museums to folks in the galleries to writers, is to sort of be a bit more open about, you know, the fact that folks don't need PhDs to look at art, you know, they have their uh, eyes or senses to sort of make meaning and sort of um, you have to be appreciative of that meaning. I think it goes back to, I think, about kindergarten, right? I would go, don't <laughs> underestimate someone's intelligence, you know, or don't write it off. And and I think that that's important, right? I, but to sort of more directly answer your question, I think that all the best collectors I've seen um, have a couple of different qualities. And one of them is that they are engaged in their, whatever their communities are, they are engaged. And so they don't just collect the sort of, Rick Lowe's and Theastrogates and the David Adjays and the Carrie Mae Weems and those sort of these, you know, monumental sort of figures, they collect locally too. They collect folks that artists in their communities who they who we you may never know about or who may go on and be a big star. Have you discovered you know? someone that way, going to someone's collection and saying, Oh, Wait, absolutely. Who's that? It's but it's I think it's about collectors who understand that yes. There are objects that they can live with and there's art that they can live with in homes, but also that there needs to be a public engagement, that museums are vital um, and they are not – so there, it's in, there's a couple of different ways. They can buy things. They can lend things. I know collectors who buy things and then immediately – Sends it on this sort of world, you know, like this, you know, three show tour, so and then and seven several years later, they get the work actually in their home because they're interested in not just sort of like the sort of you know, I bought this thing, it's mine, I own it, but really sort of the larger sort of lifespan of an artwork and being really sort of um, stewards of that work and not necessarily owners, you know, quote unquote. And I think that is sort of a part of the culture of the art world is is sort of the appreciation for the artist and the object how do you what do you do with a collector with bad taste or that has a I mean, bad I think, eye i think that like education happens you know sort of in in both ways you know it's not just sort of like a director of you know a big gallery and this is the, you know my sort of you know it's like you have conversations with collectors or with artists and your taste changes or you sort of come to see something in a different way. You know, I think that like one of the jobs that, you know, I I had a young guy who's a young, I like working, I love young collectors. We work with a lot, you know, we work with a lot of sort of super top 200, collect, you know, all we work all of those, you know, folks we work with. But I, you know, in this role, I've actually tried to get, I'm 32, so I've tried to also get folks who I know who are in my age group, who I know, you know, have, you know, an affinity for art and they might sort of express that through sort of films or, you know, or, or supporting Broadway or whatever. And I go try to get them to sort of also see contemporary art the same way. And 
you know, have to help them build, you know, their collections. And maybe With that, things that maybe start at 500 or a thousand dollars or 1500 if it's, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know a lot of artists who are even, even young and not represented by the gallery who are selling their like, like artwork for at that sort of, you know, price point. But so I do know folks, but I do know folks who are sort of in the sort of 5,000, 3,000, sort of 2,000 um, range and who started there, so particularly some photographers or some young painters who are making smaller works and encouraging that. And because it, it's not just about sort of like, yes, it's about like, you know, I work at a gallery with a stable of artists. And yes, it's about sort of supporting those artists. We've made commitments to those artists. We've made, um, sort of not just we've made commercial commitments to those artists that are important because those artists have families and they have studio practices and they need to experiment right and so like that's important but also it's about if you're working with a young collector maybe it's about sort of building up to you know um you know uh, uh you know something that's you know a little bit more sort of maybe expensive and Maybe that's starting with like, you know, so it's you have to, you know, there's artists in your community. Who are you sort of thinking about, Do you know, and sort of over time developing together, you know, sort of that relationship to um, works. And, you know, and so I have a lot of folks like that, um, friends and young collectors who I'm always in conversation with. And even if they sort of are looking at things at different places, at different galleries or different, you know, what have you, um, I'm always sort of like, happy to give my opinion or happy to sort of range studio visits or whatever because I think that it really is about sort of trying to help educate and you know shape the next generation of collectors and that doesn't necessarily just sort of mean in my gallery you know again it's the idea of it's nicer when it's in your gallery it's I mean, n- I mean but it also but you know it's one of those things where we're we're very good at what we do and so you know it's not so and I and I say that in the sense that like if you're part of a community, then you're expected to sort of be a part of the community, right? And then, like, also some, you know, it's not just about sort of that day or that, you know, you know, artists. It's, like, about a relationship, you know? It's about sort of, like, because also you want to make sure that the collectors are really there and really solid and will, you know, sort of not just sort of collect one thing, but, like, collect deeply and collect over time. And is 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 there not to, you know, resell and do all of this sort of secondary stuff, but is there to sort of really sort of live with the work. And so you need to make sure that, like, they understand the values of the sort of art communities in which they're entering, you know, and, and it's not just a financial exchange. Earlier this summer, you were in France. Yeah. You curated a show there. Mm-hmm. Will you tell us a little bit about that show? Yeah. There's this book that I did uh, a couple years ago or not even two years it's ago. It's on my now. coffee table. It's <laughs> called The New Black Vanguard Photography Between Art and Fashion. It's a group of – it really sort of tr- explores this this community of young photographers, black photographers working around the world from – New York to Los Angeles, Los Angeles, Lagos, South Africa, the global uh, South, um, who were sort of like had been sort of started these sort of their own sort of desperate communities of uh, photo um, that's centered around their photo photography, but they were sort of putting it, publishing it online on Instagram, not sort of in museums or galleries or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was just super fascinated by it because the because I was sort of one hand thinking about the history of sort of photography in sort of institutional sense and sort of the folks that sort of get seen and get shown and 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 and, um, and sort of elevated. And then nothing about that history sort of suggests that the, that that these photographers should be interested at all in sort of photography. And they just looked at that history 
and said, we're going to do it our way and use sort of this very sort of 21st century um, platform, something like Instagram or Twitter or mm -hmm. Tumblr, and we're going to make our own communities around photography. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And um, Aperture had approached me about doing a book and they and asked me what would I want to do it on. And I, I want to do it on these young photographers. And so spent some time researching and getting to know them. And again, they were sort of all over the world yeah. um, and turned that into a book and an exhibition. And that ex the book has been doing very well. It's been out for a year and a half. It's in its fifth print. Did they understand book? Were they from a digital world and said, well, we well, don't need yeah. a book. We, what do you mean a book? That's like a step backwards for us. I don't know if it was, I, th I think books are sort of the, the thing about um, digital platforms is that they're constantly changing. So it's actually really, really difficult to uh, archive those materials. Because if you think about MySpace, is anybody on that anymore? What happened to that, you know? If you think about Tumblr, like... There was an exodus. Like there yeah. is like this, like... It's so, so actually books are <laughs> the best way to archive anything. Um, and so they actually have a really um, useful... Um, uh, sort of and stand outside of sort of change in sort of the technological sense. And so they were like very interested in books, but they also like, I've never printed a photograph before. You know, like, you know what I mean? It was like very much like, well, we like take it digitally, put it on Instagram. No, this is going to be a us, show now. We're going to hang it yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's us publishing it. And so there was conversations, which was great, conversations about, okay, well, we need to print this. How large we can, because you're, you know, how large are you going to print it? Because like of when you sort of print something, you need the pixels to be able to sort of withhold that. And so it was a really sort of generative conversation. I was learning a, lot, a ton about photography um, and about the way that they practice photography. And then they were learning sort of uh, – some of them were learning some traditional sort of methods about printing. And, and marketing. And marketing. And getting it out too. Yeah. And, and so that show started in New York in, in October 2019. It's gone to Australia. It's gone to Doha, Qatar. It's now in France um, at the Arl uh, Photo Festival, which is like a really sort of traditional, super traditional photo festival um, that um, is really sort of prestigious. And I was sort of shocked. That, I was personally shocked that they took the show. Um, and so, yeah, so that's it's, – it's ongoing. It'll go to Cleveland Museum of Art, Detroit Institute of Art. It'll go to – um, it's going to Sweden, Switzerland. I mean, it's sort of traveling for the next several years. Um, but yeah, it was like one of those. Like, and also that, I mean, I, that's sort of to the other point. The, the previous point was that there was nothing to be sort of gained in sort of like a market sense from that, right? Like photography is generally like the least expensive uh, medium and doesn't have, you know, especially when you don't have not built up a career over a time. You haven't built a market, right? These are 22, 23, 25, 27 year olds, you know? Um, and then so I was able to do that show. And then we, you know, um, sold some of their prints for them. So helping them start to build a market. Um, Aperture did. And then, you know, I put some of them in an exhibition in St. Louis, a gallery exhibition. And so continue, so it's, like, it's about sort of like, I think both, right? And it's about sort of a longer term view. And, you know, a lot of folks would be like, well, why? You know, that's not worth your salt or whatever. But, you know, I think that it really is about being a part of a community and supporting folks, not just you know, to the, you know, sort of pointing points over a long period of time. And, and, you know, I don't know, like if, you know, it's like, if you're not sort of trying to be a part of something larger, say like 
you know, shaping, um, you know, the direction of maybe contemporary practice or, or, or of art or something, then I don't know what you're doing, you know? Like, what, like, what is the sort of point in, like, because I also think the days of, like, waiting and our artist gets to the price point that you want and then sort of making a relationship, I think those things are, I think those days are over. I really do think you have to have a longer-term commitment to folks now, and then opposed to sort of, like, the way things that happened sort of maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. We are having a lot of different conversations with Antoine Sargent. He's with uh, the Gagosian Gallery. Uh, he's written. He's produced. Uh, and I'm, I'm loathe to bring this up, but let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is the fact that a lot of people do this to make money. Mm -hmm. A lot of people – I picked up Wall, the Wall Street Journal the other day and it said in the last three years – Modern art has done better than anything in the stock market, and the stock market's been doing phenomenally. Yep. So what's the responsibility when someone comes in and says, I have this amount to – first of all, if they say they're trying to invest in something that's going to go up in value, mm -hmm. you really kind of try and temper that, don't you? Don't you yeah, that's come not from the what do you like kind of world before and then – Yeah, I mean I think that, again, it's about sort of thinking – I mean, that's a red flag to me personally. Like, I don't know. But you get that a lot, don't you? From people who, do, who are just getting into it and don't know that much about it. and wanting... If they're just getting into it, I think the conversation before, it's like I buying anything. It's about sort of like making sure the values are right. Making sure that like, like sure that they're – that this is, you know, used as a financial instrument. But I don't know if that's necessarily how you should be thinking about it because of all the things we just discussed, you know. And I think that, sure, you know, like you can make some money off of it for sure. Um, but it's that thing where it's like, Yes, the like it's a it's a weird sort of thing to try to explain. Yes, it's a commercial gallery. Yes, the sort of bottom line is selling artwork, but it's selling artwork to the right people who want to live with that work. Like it's it, you know it's it's not sort of you know it's not doing it to sort of have folks like if if you sort of at a gallery where folks just constantly flip your work, you get a reputation for that because artists don't want because artists don't make money on a secondary market. So artists are pissed off when they see the fifty million for this or whatever because yeah. they're not making money off of that wow. generally. Really? So, I, that, that yeah, artists me, I do would not think make they, money they off. They would think, well now I'm more valuable for the next things that I do. Sure, but they didn't make the seventy million dollars. And so, like, maybe you can raise their prices maybe by 6% or whatever the sort of standard is, but they're not making the $150 million, you know? And, like, that's the sort of problem. But also it signals to other folks that, oh, he made $150,000 off that or, or $40 million or $20 million or whatever. I paid $25,000 for this. I'm going to also do that now. And then so it becomes a situation where it actually ruins an artist. It could ruin an artist's uh, market. Um, if too many people, obviously, you know, if too many, it's the stock market, right? If too many people start selling, then your work is worthless. Wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm scared. Yeah. I'm not going to put a dime into it without uh, talking to you first. Invest the, aesthetically. I yeah. would invest based on what you like and what moves you. Art What's over your you. sofa? We talked about that before. Uh, David King Rubin. I have three of his paintings. <laughs> no one likes a bragger. Uh, <laughs> I do have a. I have one more for you. Yeah. Um, you guest edited. You guest edited art in America, mm -hmm. and you put a tapestry 
on the cover, a photo right. of a tapestry. Yes. I think when most people think of art, their brain goes to a painting yep. or a sculpture. Yep. My, my head exploded. I was like, this is remarkable. We're reminding people about tapestries. What moved you about tapestry? The artist um, did, frankly. Um, Corlicia Woods is a young artist who um, works in tapestry and is making sort of these internet-y sort of depictions on tapestry, you know, and sort of her own image and sort of thinking about sort of like, like, you know, sort of biblical references in art, but also thinking about sort of being very much online as a young person and like, so, and they're funny and like they have these like, you know, it just, it really just sort of, I thought was a great refreshing um, thing to do. I think that, you know, again, the art world is so like figurative painting heavy at the moment. And I just think that like there was other conversations, you know, that we can be having more thoughtful conversations. There was a lot of painting in, you know, there was a painting, there was, I wouldn't say a lot. There was painting. There were painters in the issue. I have no, no problem with painting. Yeah. I just think that there was a lot of different conversations we can be having. And I think that for the cover, that was the strongest work that we, um, that we sort of um, came across. And I thought it was a really great thing. And I also thought it was really great to put like a young uh, black woman who's like 25 on the cover of one of the ma most major like you know um art publications that the country has and you know i just think that like you should take risk you know I, and also again it was a risk who knew how that was going to sort of pan out did larry gagosian take a risk when he hired you i th i don't i mean you have to ask him i suppose i mean <laughs> i i think that like i've had a remarkable track record so i think that you know um He'll probably tell you he's happy to have me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were happy to have you Most as definitely. well. Uh, before you go, one last thing about what you think your responsibility is going forward. I think of the art world as being vanguard and breaking new, breaking down walls mm -hmm. and making things happen where they haven't before. Obviously, you in this current uh, uh, exhibit that you have are trying to break down some walls and barriers and doors for and get more people represented. What do you see as your role over the next five to ten years? My role is to really sort of continue to make really ambitious um, exhibitions and books and um, to really do that in tandem with artists and being in conversation with them. That's all I, that's the only thing I'm interested in is sort of making um, exhibitions and uh, books that think about the ways in which um, our culture um, is in this moment and maybe the, it, may, it might sort of think about the next moment and also might think about the past. And so that's where I'm at with it. Did we create anything close to art here today? <laughs> I, unfortunately, no. <laughs> I, I was afraid of that. Uh, it, it has been a great pleasure to have you uh, and we welcome you back anytime. We will encourage people who are listening or watching to go and see some of the works that you have curated for the Gagosian folks. Yep. Uh, and uh, thank you for joining us. Today yeah, thanks for having on me. On the thank Accutron Show. All right. Thank you for listening to the Accutron Show. To listen to all of our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. To learn more about the world of Accutron, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch and subscribe to our podcast. From New York City, until next time, Accutron Time.